The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, today on Talk is Jericho. One of my old friends from ECW, Axel Rotten, needs our help. He's in a wheelchair. He's got a severely messed up spine after spending so many years taking uh, crazy hardcore bumps in the ring for your entertainment. He needs back surgery in order to walk again. So I'm asking you to go to you caring. It's www.youcaring.com slash Axel Rotten. That account's been set up online in hopes of raising money for Axel's surgery. And today he's going to share his story. He's drug-free. He's living a clean life. He's had a lot of demons in the past, but he's beat them. He's very, very inspiring, just like my, my old friend Daniel House I've been talking so much about lately. He's a good guy. I just reconnected with him over the last uh, couple weeks, actually. Axel and I went to see Kiss, the reunion tour together back in 96. So many cool stories uh, about Kiss, about ECW, and the uh, tragic rise and fall and subsequent rise again. Again, uh, thanks to us is what we're going to do to help Axel out. That story is coming up today. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride, because it's Friday. It's Aloha Friday. No work till Monday. All right, something new for you there. And something new from an old friend of mine, Axel Rotten from ECW. Spent a little bit of time in WWE. He's going to be here today on TIJ. Uh, I want to tell you all about Axel. I'm going to tell you how uh, how we even became friends in the first place. Whenever I think of Axel, I think of Kiss. And when I think of the Kiss reunion that takes me back to 96, and where was I at that point in time? I was working for ECW. And it's funny, so many guys in ECW were Kiss fanatics. Maybe because... ECW is based in Philly and New York, and that's a huge rock and roll area. It's a huge Kiss area. But I know that um, uh, Axel was always talking about Kiss. The Blue Meanie was always talking about Kiss. Stevie Richards loved it. Uh, I remember Shane Douglas had a copy of Carnival of Souls, and this was in 96 or maybe even in 95. Must have been 96 uh, because I started there. 
Yeah, so sorry, I, I worked in ECW in 96. So it was about the spring of 96, and he had this tape of the new Kiss record. And you have to understand that, like, in 96, there was no YouTube. There was no Internet. You couldn't go online and find uh, records and songs, uh, you know, uh, leaked before they were ready to come out. So somebody actually had gone into the studio and recorded the master of the Carnival of Souls record, which was recorded in about 95 and wasn't released until 97, until after the reunion, because it was a, a Kiss album with Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer, the Revenge lineup, and they had recorded it and had it in the can, but they were didn't know when to release it because it was right in the midst of, of when they decided to do the reunion. So they held on to it, did the reunion tour, and then released it officially, I think, in 97 just to get it out there. But it had leaked a year or two years before, and Shane Douglas had this... Uh, Carnival of Souls. And I remember he brought it on a boom box. <laughs> remember those things? Uh, to play it for me because it was on cassette. So we were in, uh, I can't remember where we were, somewhere in Long Island or something, some small little show, and he brought the cassette and played it for me, and then he made a dubbed copy of it for me. So I always think about that when I think of ECW, and plus the fact that it was right in the midst of the KISS reunion tour, which started, I believe, in 96. And I went to see KISS with Axel Rotten. Um, because when I first came in ECW, I was the new guy. Everyone was kind of razzing me. You know, Raven was razzing me and the Pitbulls and uh, all those guys. Tommy Dreamer was always cool. But you know, being the new guy in town, once again by myself, it was a little bit uh, you know nerve-wracking. So you kind of gra- gravitate to anybody that you could. And plus, after I had a couple matches, people knew that I was the real deal and I could hold my own. It wasn't just some pretty boy coming in there to pick up chicks. So... um I remember the, the Kiss reunion started, and, and the, the, the story is kind of two pronged. But I remember that uh, in the ECW arena, they were doing this thing where Sandman would just come out and cane people for no reason. I guess they did that all the time. That was his gimmick. But because it was the Kiss reunion, the Blue World Order, the BWO, dressed up as Kiss. So Stevie Richards was Paul Stanley, uh, the Blue Meanie was Gene Simmons, Nova was Ace Fraley. And I think Don E. Allen was Peter Chris, And they all dressed up in Kiss makeup. And they came to the ring to airband Kiss. And right in the middle of airband and Kiss, I think they were doing rock and roll night or something like that. And they were kind of doing the fabulous Fargo strut as they were doing this lip sync of rock and roll night. Which, of course, was eliciting huge boos from the ECW brethren. Like, they hated the BWO. They hated Blue Meanie. And they loved Kiss, but the fact that the BWO was desecrating, you know, Kiss's good name by coming out there and just horribly mocking, you know, mocking them. And suddenly, right in the middle of Rock and Roll Night, Enter Sandman hits. And that means one thing. Out comes the Sandman. And, of course, the BWO Kiss just stops and stares at him like, uh-oh, instead of just fleeing from the ring. But you didn't do that. You know, that, that wouldn't be showbiz. So they were just scared. And then out came Sandman with his, uh, his Singapore cane. And he proceeded to just hit every member of Kiss over the head and just whip their ass uh, to huge response from the New York, uh, Philadelphia brethren, which was so funny and so memorable. Actually, I should try and find that on YouTube. If you guys find a, a link of that on YouTube, send it to me on the Twitter at talk is Jericho and I'll, uh, I'll copy it and send it over to Paul Stanley and see what he thinks. Cause Paul's become a big wrestling fan now after his son, Colin got into wrestling. They've been a couple times to the matches and, uh, now Paul's like posting pictures of Seth Rollins on his Instagram and he's 
texted me about me and uh, John Cena on Live with Chris Jericho on the WWE Network, or me and Stephanie McMahon on Live on the WWE Network. They're still up there. Two great shows if you want to see them. But uh, I just remember how funny it was that the Sandman is caning Gene Simmons, a.k.a. the Blue Meanie. So then um, I wanted to go see the reunion tour, but I was working fairly regular, actually full-time in Japan. And full-time in ECW, so it was hard to catch a gig. And I remember Axel said, hey, man, like I'll go with you. I've seen it already, but I'll come with you, uh, and we can go see the show. And I was like, oh, this is great. So I looked at a calendar and saw that we both had a day off in Richmond, Virginia. So we went to Richmond, flew out there, like weird place. Of all places, Richmond. It's not the biggest of places, but I remember Axel said, we'll get tickets from a scalper. And we went there, and I mean, this wasn't New York City or Philly. There was no scalpers. There was like nobody out there. And once again, this was pre, uh, what do you call it, StubHub. So I don't remember how we got tickets. I'll have to ask Axel how we got our tickets. But we did get tickets, and we went inside. And I think a couple people recognized us, but not many. I think, you know, it's not Axel, very recognizable. And of course, me, I was hardly even on TV, so probably no one knew who I was. But went in there and watched the show. And I remember it was, it was really cool to see Kiss and their makeup, even though I was a little bit hesitant because I like non makeup Kiss. And I was a little bit disappointed, actually, when they reunited to put the makeup on because I like Bruce Kulick and I like Derek Singer. I love that lineup. But I remember specifically one thing I remember Come On and Love Me. They screwed it up so bad that they had to stop and start over again. I remember Paul called. I was like, okay, I said, that's it. Stop, 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 stop. You know, we're stopping. We'll start over again. Uh, that was no good or whatever. And I remember thinking, that's pretty funny that they just like stopped the song. They didn't even try and get it back on track. And here we are years later. If you read Paul's book, Face the Music, A Life Exposed, about how bad that lineup was some nights and how off they could be and how off Ace and Peter could be and, um, that's probably why, you know, somebody screwed up there. I'm not saying it was Ace or Peter, but somebody screwed up in that lineup and they had to stop and start over again. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like, we're like stopping a wrestling match and starting over again. You, you know, you can't do that. But, um, so I remember Axel was with me there and, and, and we met up in Richmond and I, I think we might've even shared a hotel. I'm not exactly too sure, but just the most random thing. But once again, that's how we became friends was through the power of kiss. So ECW was very much a KISS-friendly organization, and Axel and I became friends and bonded very much because of KISS. Same with Shane Douglas, too. That's how Shane and I became friends when he found out how big of a KISS fan I was. So KISS bringing people together, bringing wrestlers and rockers together. And like I said, if somebody can find that YouTube link of Sandman caning the shit out of the BWO KISS, Please send it over to me because I would love to see it and send it to Paul Stanley himself. Super, super hilarious. All right. Speaking of super hilarious, nothing to report. My Comedy Central digital series is racking up the views thanks to you guys. It's well over a million views by now. I think it's like 1.1 or 1.2 million views, which has doubled what Comedy Central was originally hoping. But remember, the more you watch it, the more views we get, the better the chance that Comedy Central will, uh, will commission us to make more 
more episodes, maybe even a pilot, or maybe even taking it all the way to series on Comedy Central. That is the overall goal for myself and for Team Tiger Awesome, who created and wrote it. If you haven't checked it out yet, you could use a laugh. Go to YouTube, search out Nothing to Report. Go to Comedy Central, search out Nothing to Report. It's six episodes, five minutes long. They are nuggets of comedic genius joy. You are going to love it. I guarantee it. Uh, go check it out. Go check out the Team Tiger Awesome episode on Talk is Jericho. Nick Mundy, uh, Clint Gage, and Michael Truly. Three very, very funny, hilarious guys. Uh, a great episode of Talk is Jericho and a great digital series, Nothing to Report, on Comedy Central. I want you to go check it out. I want you to stick around. Axel Rotten is on the way, the tragic tale of Axel. But we're going to get my friend back on his feet literally with your help, uh, God willing. Uh, but first, I want to tell you what I got in my na- uh, latest nature box. All right, it's going straight into my carry-on bag. When I hit the road in a few days for the Y2J WWE Summer Tour, we'll list those dates in a bit. I got actually a really busy schedule coming up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is is Jericho. All right, on the line with me right now, my old friend who uh, I haven't seen in a long time, but once you go to a KISS concert, you're friends for life. I got Axel Rotten here on the line. What's going on, my man? Hey, Chris, it's great to hear your voice. You know, it it has been quite a few years uh, since we were together, but uh, once you share that bonding experience of sitting there and watching the hottest band in the world, you become friends for life. And <laughs> not <laughs> not only do we have that bond, but uh, we also have the uh, our love for music and professional wrestling. So we're kind of like joined at the hip at the same thing. It's funny, though. I was talking about it in the intro to the show, how when I, when I first came to ECW, obviously I was kind of the new guy, and you know how it was back then. There was always a little bit of like, oh, here's the new guy coming in here. Who does this guy think he is type thing? But I remember specifically there was a couple guys that were cool off the bat. Tommy Dreamer was one of them, and you were one of them too, and I, Shane Douglas was one of them as well. And I specifically remember you and Shane right because of the kiss connection i think right off the bat you and i were like hey you like kiss and you maybe you were wearing a kiss shirt or maybe i i was i don't really remember how that connection came to be do you remember that at all I mean, it was a long time yeah. ago yeah I, actually I, I can remember as if it were yesterday because um i had a collection of over 160 kiss t-shirts um <laughs> and i'm uh, rest assuredly that i was probably the one wearing the kiss t-shirt <laughs> And um, we sparked up a conversation about that, and um, we just started talking about music, and that really became how you and I became friends was just through our mutual love of, of, of Kiss, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've always been one of those guys that when, you know, how the pro wrestling etiquette is, and we can get into that later or not, but when a new guy comes in, I always like to say, hey, hello, how you doing? But, you know, you and I had that special connection because, like, KISS fans truly are the most devoted fans in the world. And you and I, you know, who are now 
eh, a little older than a lot of the other guys. <laughs> we won't go into that, but we've been fans since we were children, and we're still fans. So it's it's still amazing that you know once you have that bond, it's it's one of those things that it's almost like a huge family that just keeps on growing. Yeah, it's like an underground society where where when you meet somebody that likes the same type of music as you do. And it doesn't matter, you know, in what form or what you, what you're doing. It always brings you a little bit closer. You always get a little bit of a of, of a connection from that. And we even I was saying earlier too that this was in about '96, which is the, when the Kiss reunion happened. That and, was exactly it, '96. Yeah, '96. And you and I actually went to see Kiss because I remember I think you had seen one of the shows and I hadn't had the chance because I was overseas and all this that and the other thing. So I was like, if I can find a day off. I'm going to go. And you were like, I'll go with you. And, and we went and saw them in Richmond, Virginia. Exactly. We, 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 we jumped in the car, you know, and look, any chance that I could take to see kiss. Uh, and, and I, and I'm, I can't even count how many times since I was old enough to do it on my own that I've gone, I've seen them. I mean, hundreds of times. And, and it, it's, it's like, I remember you saying, hey, you know, I mean, I haven't seen the reunion tour. And I was like, oh, dude, it's like, you know, it was something that, you know, guys like our age thought we would never see. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Chris, you got to go see it. I mean, it's just like the when that curtain drops and you hear that, all right, Richmond. I mean, we got goosebumps. We were like two 10-year-olds banging our heads, throwing our fists in the air. And it was just such a great experience. And I kind of lived vicariously through you for a moment. I would look over and you were just like, you know, looked like just this little kid so happy to see, you know, something that you and I thought we would never see, the four original members, Ace, Peter, Gene, and Paul, right there in front of us. Did we drive there? Is that what you just said? We drove there? Yeah, yeah we drove. I forgot um, exactly where you flew into or you stayed an extra night over somewhere. May have been Philly. May have been, you may have came to Baltimore, but I remember um, we drove down to Richmond. But, but yeah, you, you, I think you actually stayed an extra day because I think yeah. we did ECW or you were coming back from overseas. I can't recall which it was, but... Um, you stayed an extra day just to go to the concert with me. So, you know, cause I was like, dude, I got to take you. You have to see this. You will be blown away. <laughs> and of course, at the end of the night, we just couldn't shut up about how great it was. And <laughs> so I remember, we I remember great- we, we were like, I was, you know, small town, you know, uh, Canada kid. And I was like, do we need to get tickets? And you're like, no, no, we'll just buy them from scalpers. And I remember we walked around that entire Coliseum and we couldn't find one damn scalper uh, in the whole place. Yeah, and that's how I would usually do it because when I saw them on um, the Sonic Boom tour, you know, I just you know walked right up to the building. There's a guy. He's got like you know fifth row tickets. Um, the opening band had already played. It may have been Buck Cherry, or I'm not sure. And I'm like, dude. You know, you're not going to get $200 for the ticket. Um, I'll give you 50 bucks right now. You know, and he took it. (laughs) But, yeah, Richmond, Virginia is the only town in the United States where you cannot find a ticket scalper. But if you remember, we ended up getting great seats right next to the stage. Yes. From the box office, I guess, maybe. I I think they were released because of the configuration of the stage. 
Yeah, and I think that was a little bit later on. I seem to remember they did the original reunion tour, and then they did like a Lost Cities second leg, which was smaller exactly. towns like Ridgemont yeah. would be that one. Do you remember that they screwed up Come On and Love Me, and they had to stop and start over again? Which is actually, yeah, I do. And and most people ask, you know, hey, because I'm such a huge Kiss fan, what are your favorite Kiss songs? Well, um, a lot of people don't like to hear that my favorite Kiss album is Revenge because it's the, not the original guys. It's right. not makeup, blah, blah, blah. But Come On and Love Me is my second favorite Kiss song behind Unholy. And I was like, oh, man, how are you going to screw that up? It's like my favorite <laughs> tune, you know, and, and they did. Well, And they not only did they screw it up, uh, they actually stopped. And I remember and Paul, Paul, yeah, Paul went, all right, that's, that's, that's bad. Let, let's start over again. Which, you know, if you read Paul's book, you hear, and actually even when Paul was on this show, talking about how loose and how sloppy that band was getting, that lineup, and how he hated oh, yeah. it. You know, we, and we saw that with our own two eyes. Yeah, well, the thing was, what had happened, you know, I did read uh, the Face the Music, and um, it's one of those things where, you know, unfortunately, Ace, you know, I love Ace Fraley, love Peter Chris, love Gene Simmons, love Paul Stanley. The, the original four that started it will always have a special place in my heart. But, you know, Ace and Peter just, you know, and we saw it, like you said, with our own eyes. Musically, they were not holding up their end of the bargain. And when you're paying $150 a seat, you know, you won $150 sure. worth of a concert. And, you know, Paul and Gene became extremely frustrated, you know, over and over again, because uh, to quote Gene Simmons, you know, we're handing you the keys to the kingdom and, you know, you're not willing to take them. So it was it was very disappointing because at that point I knew the end was near, you know, I knew right. the original members wouldn't be around much longer, unfortunately, which led to the farewell tour which wasn't really a farewell tour. It was just a farewell tour of the original members, which if you ever saw it, I don't know if you went to it, musically they were god-awful, and it was almost an embarrassment to watch. Right, yeah, and that's what Paul was even saying. It was a farewell, not to Kiss, but as as to that lineup. And, you know, it's funny because we're talking about something that we experienced 20 years ago, and I've probably only seen you a handful of times since, but uh, a few weeks ago, I guess, reading on Twitter about how you had uh, set up a, a, a site to, to you know, uh, help you with some medical expenses, we started talking. What's been going on with you, man? Uh, I want to talk about the situation that you're in right now and all the stuff that you've been going through. Tell us where you are and, and what, what's been happening with Axel Rotten over the last six months to a year. Well, you know, um, what happened, Chris, is, uh, you know, I, I knew that I had a bad spine. I knew this 20 years ago, but um, another thing that a lot of people who aren't into what we do don't understand, once you catch that pro wrestling bug, it gets in your blood and you it's hard to walk away from. Mm -hmm. And um, in 2005, I had an MRI and, you know, I was told, hey, look, you know, if you want to be walking by the time you're 40, you might want to quit doing this pro wrestling stuff. Well, just around that time is when Vince came calling, WWE came calling. And I'm like, you know, after all of these years of doing ridiculous, outrageous, crazy stuff, 
now I'm getting a chance because that's where we reconnected is when I showed mm-hmm. up to um, do the ECW invasion to set up the one night stand and all that stuff. Um, so long story short, for the last six months, I've been in this uh, rehab facility, which is called um, Anchorage Nursing and Rehab, which um, the the nursing part of it throws me off because I never thought at 43 I'd be sitting in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. But what happened is one day I tried to twist and get out of bed and I couldn't move my legs. And um, I just was fear struck and I could, I didn't know, you know, panic. I didn't know what to do, but it had happened before on a smaller scale. So I said, okay, I'm going to lay here a few minutes. Everything will get back to normal, but it didn't. So I had, you know, hence called the ambulance, 911, the whole bit, went to the hospital. They misdiagnosed me as having a stroke because I have the same thing Jim Ross has, you know, the Bell's palsy on my face, which has nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was a stroke. So, and I kept telling them, no, listen to me. This is a back issue. My spine is very messed up. Please do the MRI. They wouldn't do the MRI. So not until November did I finally get an MRI of my lumbar, which is a a complete mess and it's, it's tore apart. So, Basically, um, what I'm doing now is, in this facility, I'm doing two sessions of physical therapy a day, which they only require one, but I'm working hard to avoid the spinal surgery. But it looks as if, you know, I'm doing well with physical therapy, but it looks as if if I really want this thing to go away, it's going to require a pretty extensive um, spinal surgery that I'm very apprehensive about going into. So that's why I'm working so hard with physical therapy. So that's been the last six months. So it's been, I went from laying in the bed, not being able to move, to now I'm able to stand, I can walk with the walker, I'm able to do things for myself, whereas before I was completely immobile and, and laid in the bed all day and couldn't function. So you know, the physical therapy is helping me out quite a bit, and um, that's where we stand right now. You know, I'm just working very hard to get to a point where maybe I, if, you know, I know I'll never step in the ring again, mm-hmm. um, and that's perfectly fine by me. I would just like to be able to walk, and, and it's such a small thing, but once it's taken away from you, you don't realize the things and the gifts that you have until you don't have them. Right. So, so what you're saying, though, kind of going back and, and, and thinking about some of the stuff you just talked about, you were actually told years ago, if you want to be walking by the time you're in your 40s, you need to stop wrestling. And you were in your mid 30s at that point in time. Well, you know, when I first went to ECW, I was only uh, 23 years old. You yeah. know, I, was just, I was just a kid myself, you know, and uh, um, this happened in in 2005, which, yeah, would, would put me in, in uh, I'll be 34, maybe 35, I guess, you know, I'm in the prime, I'm ready to go. Um, and then when WWE wanted to reboot the ECW brand, I was one of the first guys given a contract, but, um, we can get into this because it happened and it's true. I had, you know, a substance abuse problem and, 
I didn't even bother showing up twofold because I knew that, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to function due to what I was going through with the addiction problem. And to be quite honest, I didn't think that the reboot of ECW was something that I actually wanted to be a part of. Um, I initially just signed on because uh, I was getting a good paycheck. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was it, you know. Did you have any indication over the years before you woke up in, in September, October, whatever it was, that you were having these bad back problems? Did you have signs that were occurring? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Chris. I mean, it's like I live, like, if, if you've ever gone to the emergency room and they'll say to you, what is your pain level between 1 and 10? That's usually how they gauge it. And I and I always tell the nurse the same thing. I said, well, I live at a 7 every day, so... If I'm here, that must mean something's very wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I did, I did. to be honest with you, Chris, I did everything that you could possibly do to injure yourself, you know, with in the ECW days because I was asked to do that. I mean, I, I, I didn't, you know, come into ECW wanting to do, you know, barbed wire baseball bat matches, you know, putting glass on my hands and doing things and going through tables lit on fire. You know, that wasn't what I wanted to do. My love was pro wrestling. And uh, unfortunately, you know, when the boss asks you to do, this is what you need to do to keep your job. You know, I wanted to keep my job. So that's what I did, all the hardcore crazy stuff. And I think that is kind of what led to the more severe how do I put this? The more severe symptoms when, mm-hmm. you know, I would wake up, you know, and, you know, I would just move a certain way and I, and I literally couldn't get out of bed. I, I couldn't get in the shower. You know, those signs were there and I knew that something was coming, but I didn't know to what extent because I had fought it this far and I had kept on going. So I said, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll be the one guy that will be able to not have to have the surgery or have the rehab. But the signs were, were there. I just chose to, you know, live through the pain. Yeah, because you were always really known. When I think of Axel Rotten, I think of very, you know, if, if you played the word association game, I would think of, of bloody barbed wire, very vicious, uh, barbaric type matches. And that's kind of what you were known for. Yeah, which which really disappoints me because... Before ECW, I was, you know, wrestling, you know, pro wrestling, what I wanted to do. I was in territory. I was USWA. I'm wrestling guys like Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee. I was in Texas wrestling with guys like Black Bart, Chris Adams, you know, um, Kerry Von Erich, um, just wrestling matches. Then I did a short stint in WCW when, you know, I'm wrestling with guys like Big Van Vader, Matt Bourne, Mike Graham, just your regular pro wrestling that you watch every Monday on Raw. And then you go to ECW, and it became a completely different animal. And to be honest with you, those matches... Like you said, the word association is Axel Rotten, Blood and Guts, but the matches that I'm most proud of, you know, are my, myself and Balls Mahoney versus Chris Candido and your former partner, Lance Storm, mm-hmm. at Wrestlepalooza 98. There wasn't no blood, no chairs. It was a straight-up wrestling tag team match. 
a match I had with Terry Funk in, in Boston, Massachusetts. It was straight-up wrestling match, you know, wrestling Shane Douglas for the ECW World Heavyweight title. You know, no blood, no guts. You know, but people just wanted that from me, and I got pigeonholed as that guy. You know, they mm-hmm. thought, they think Axel Rotten, the same way they thought New Jack, you know, Dudley's, things like that. We were pigeonholed as the, the blood and guts guys, and unfortunately, I couldn't break out of that mold. And another match, pardon me, that I want to throw in there is myself and Rob Van Dam in his ECW debut. If you go back and watch that, you know, I called that whole match, and it was it was all me because Rob didn't know what to do in an ECW environment. He admits, if you watch his DVD, you know, I didn't know what to do there. I was nervous. I was scared. I was, you know, and I told him, I said, just calm down. I have you. I got you doing this because I know how to work these people. And it was one of my prouder moments just to, to get a guy in. And, you know, he earned his job by wrestling me mm-hmm. in a straight wrestling match. So, unfortunately, I was given that role as the blood and guts guy, but I re- never really wanted it. How how did you get into that role, uh, Axel? What, what was like? Was there one specific match that led to another? Or? <laughs> well, Chris, um, you were in ECW, so there was a man by the name of Paul Heyman. <laughs> Some of you may have heard of him, right? And um, I'm, I'm sure you were there when he would get up on the steps and he would go, "I want to tell everyone here in this locker room one thing: it's everyone here." that has got this building sold out, not one person, you know, and give those yeah. tremendous, you know, gung-ho, win one for the Gipper speeches. Well, one night I was told, Axel, I need you to go out there, and I need you and Ian to just do something bloody and gory and over the top. And I need you to do that just to shock the fans. And when we did that, you know, that, that's what the boss asked to do. And that's what happened. And then it snowballed into, there was a show called, um, gee, I don't know, Return of the Funker, when Terry Funk returned um, seriously in a box. You know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't called that until after he revealed himself. But ticket sales were slow. So Paul, he, asked, he calls me on the phone, he goes, Axel, how do you feel about doing a barbed wire baseball bat match? And I'm like, well, how do I feel about it? I've never done it. I don't know how to do it. But if that's what you need, okay. Well, that was because ticket sales were slumping in the arena. There wasn't, uh, you know, a big pre-sale. But when they announced, you know, Axel Rotten versus Ian Rotten in a barbed wire baseball bat match, ticket sales spiked. So when he saw... I think that he had something that was going on because just just on a side note, my friend who, uh, well, became my friend, who was just a photographer for the After magazines, and if you remember back in those days, the Internet was young, so to get over, man, if you were in the magazines, that was a big thing. Right. And um, Jason, the photographer, was told, uh, Bill Octor said to him, you know, hey, get down there and photograph some of this stuff that's going on that I keep hearing between Axel and Ian Rotten. I want to see this stuff and see what we can do with it. And that's really what put ECW on the map 
in the magazines because no one had really covered ECW up until the point of Ian and I's feud. And, you know, we brought, you know, that, that exposure through the magazines. But the catalyst for that stuff, again, was that phone call, you know, just being asked to do it. And I thought, well, if I say no, am I going to have a job? So, of course, I said yes. Right. You're always wondering, am I going to have a job or is this my chance to get the big push? And that's kind of the, uh, you know, the people say drinking the Kool-Aid of Paul Heyman. It's drinking the Kool-Aid of the wrestling business. Exactly. You know, you're always worried, like, if I don't do this, maybe I won't get another shot to do something of, of focus. Because if you're doing a barbed wire baseball bat match, you know it's going to be one of the main events on the show. Sure. And then, and then that, that led to the Taipei death match, which was us putting broken glass on our fists. And Good Lord. that one became the most famous of them all. And, and, it, and this blows my mind that next month, July 1st, will be 20 years ago that we did that match. Wow. And people, people, Chris, to this day, still, I, I, I can't go a week without someone emailing me or texting me or asking me about that match. So it has transcended itself. And I think what happened is the people that originally saw it at the arena or on ECW TV 20 years ago said, hey, kids, you know, hey, you're watching what you're watching. Let me show you what I grew up on. And it has been passed down from, like, generation to generation to where people are still, you know, talking to me about that match. And it's like it was even featured on, you know, WWE DVD they put out, you know, and it's it's one of those things that I can't get away from. Even, like, in before this injury re-happened to me, you know, I want to get booked on the indies, and I keep trying to tell the independent promoters, look, it doesn't have to be a hardcore match. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how to work. I can go out there, you know, and, and then when they book me and see, you know, and I'll, and I'll give credit where credit is due, you know, I took a lot of my stuff from Dusty Rhodes, Superstar Billy Graham, and even Paul Stanley, as far as the way I work the crowd and I work four sides of the crowd and get everyone involved. And like, wow, man, actually, you, you know, you got the biggest pop of the night and the crowd loved you. And I was like, yes. And I didn't <laughs> even have to bleed. Don't you understand that? It was just, I got pigeonholed, Chris, and then yeah. like, I could never fight my way out of it. I remember, a few, uh, well, gosh, it was probably 15 years ago, Tex uh, Slashinger, he was Midian in the WWE, yeah. and he, he was doing naked Midian. They had him doing a bunch of different stuff. And he went out there one night and had a dark match against somebody. And no gimmick, it was just Tex. I think they were trying him out just as Tex Slashinger again. And they came back, and one of the agents was like, wow, that was actually a good match. He said, I should hope so. I've been working 15 years. I know how to wrestle. I don't have to be naked. But like you said... <laughs> oh, well, you, right alongside that story... Um, after the um, first one-night stand and they were thinking about rebooting ECW, Vince brought in Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten, and we did a month of dark matches around the loop. You know, Mm -hmm. we'd work both Raw and SmackDown tapings, but we did dark matches. And I remember the first one we did was in the Meadowlands, you know, and, uh, you know, 20,000 people, as soon as the music hit, they started chanting ECW, ECW. And I get in the ring, they already have Axel Rotten rule signs, balls and Axel. You know, we, mm-hmm. it was huge. The people loved us. 
We come back to the curtain. Shane McMahon is standing right there, jumping up and down, going, "Oh my God, that was great! That was that was incredible!" You know, and Pat Patterson, who told us before we went out, he goes, "Now don't expect to get any kind of reaction because these people aren't going to know who you are." And I'm thinking to myself, "Wait a minute, we're in New Jersey." <laughs> which was one of the heart of ECW territory. These people already, as soon as they see the Titan Tron, they see our pictures on it, are going to know. And I was right, you know. And, and, and we went out there and we had a great match with two enhancement guys. And later on we worked, um, I think it was uh, Trevor Murdoch, and I think he had a partner, Cade, Cade and Murdoch. Yeah, Lance Cade, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Every time we come back, you know, Shane was like, "This is great. This is great." Laurinaitis was like, "We got to, we got to get these guys a, a signable contract." And um, a couple of our late mutual friends, you know, Chris Benoit and um, Eddie Guerrero, they were championing our cause. You know, especially Benoit, he was saying to them, "Hey, look at these guys. They're not these cookie cutter." wrestlers look around everyone looks the same he goes you got to give these guys a chance because they look like the old school guys who would sit in a bar with you have a couple beers and then you'd have a disagreement you go out in the back alley kick each other's asses and then come right back in and have another drink you know that's you know the old dick the bruiser the old you know old school wrestler you know those guys saw it but there was one or two agents, and I'm not going to mention their names strictly for political reasons, that just didn't want us there. And you know how the wrestling business works. If there's one guy that's in a position of power and he wants to put a screw to you, he can screw it in and start screwing it tighter and tighter. And eventually, you know, it will end your chances. And that's what happened to us. Well, and another thing, too, is you're talking about, you know, even if you guys, kind of like when the Dudleys were there, they're, they're the quote-unquote hardcore team of the WWE. You bring in Balls and Axel as the hardcore team, you guys are in no way, shape, or form will be doing barbed wire baseball bat matches or Taipei death matches. You're just going to be having matches, and maybe you walk to the ring with a chair or whatever. It would have been perfect to what you were saying and how you wanted to, to wrestle. You didn't want to have to cut each other up and, and smash each other over the head with objects. And in the WWE, you wouldn't be required to do that. So it actually would have been giving you what you looked for, which was a chance to actually work. And we got those chances in those dark matches, and everyone was so impressed. And what they don't know is Mahoney was a great collegiate wrestler. I mean, and he could work, too. And we, we just got our chance to show, and, and we shined every night. And, and again, one of the dark matches, and I think it was against Murdoch and Cade, was in Philadelphia. And we, you know when we came out, the place went nuts. And it was just like, you know... Uh, ben Law and Eddie Guerrero was like, you know, he's like, to, to Laura Nidus, he goes, he goes, man, you can put these guys on TV right now, put them in a program with Eminem, uh, you know, that are so different. You know, you can put the T-shirts out, put the action figures. They're going to sell because they are so different, but we never got that chance, you know. And we proved over a month's period of time that we didn't need chairs. We didn't need blood. We didn't need gimmicks. We didn't need to hit people over the head with cookie sheets. We could work. But unfortunately, there were one or two guys who uh, didn't really take a shine to us. And I think, uh, 
you know, that's what ended our chances there. And it was really unfortunate because it was our chance to show the people that, you know, not only could we do the blood and guts, we could also go out there and wrestle. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just to specify, what exactly you kind of glazed over it a bit, and I want to talk about how brutal this match is. You talk about the tie pay death match. And what were you doing? You're, you're, you're putting pieces of glass onto your fist? What we did was we um, took glue and then took broken glass and glued the broken glass to our fists. And then we went out there and um, actually worked, you know, like, sort of like a hardcore boxing match, you know. And, uh, wow. Fonzie was the referee, and it was, it was a great uh, thing where we did a big heat spot where Fonzie wanted to stop the match because it was too brutal, you know, and all this stuff. And it was really bloody. It's like, you know, I, we gigged our arms, you know, we gigged mm. our heads. You know, we had, like, blood coming from everywhere. And it was very, very brutal. Yeah, it was... Wow. It was it was nuts, Chris. I mean, uh, <laughs> if you ever check it out, it's on YouTube. You know, I mean, actually, there's two of them. We did... Um, one in the arena, uh, and then we did one during a uh, reunion show for um, Shane Douglas. But, okay. Uh, the first one was the one I was speaking of that uh, was kind of an, an historic event, you know, that people really right. kind of, uh, you know, shine to, and they, 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 they just, like, wouldn't let it die. When you did the barbed wire matches, did you ever clip the barbed wire? I know a couple times, uh, the one time Triple H and I had a hell in the cell, and he hit me over the head on top of the cell with the barbed wire uh, baseball bat, and we clipped a couple of the wires so they weren't completely sharp, but that son of a bitch still caught in my hair, it ripped out my hair, it gigged me in the <laughs> shoulder. I mean, those things were brutal, man, no matter how you try and, uh, and make yeah. it any better. Well, yeah, you know... Um this is how we did it. Initially, the first one, we didn't clip anything. We <laughs> we were just young and stupid. Like I said, you know, I was 23, 20, or maybe 20, at that time, 25. I had never done one of those things before. And, you know, I didn't know what to do. But later on, I figured out that uh, if you kind of clip the, the ends and you don't have that really sharp barb, it's a lot easier to work. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you don't let the people see it, you know, they can't really tell the difference. You know, what 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 really killed it off, though, was the one time, you know, Dreamer came out there and he had a, a piece of wood, like, wrapped in chicken wire, you know? And yeah. they kill it, you know, oh, my God, all this, you know, we did all this, you know, <laughs> let's make this hardcore, brutal, crazy match. And he just completely killed it with coming out with a weapon that, you know, wouldn't obviously hurt anybody. But, <laughs> no, we, we, didn't, we didn't clip anything until later. Um, but the glass match, you know, is definitely, um, it, it wasn't, didn't hurt at all. You didn't, the glass didn't cut us whatsoever, you know, because 
it was broken up beer bottles. It wasn't like it was shards of, okay. a, a, of a window, which would have really, you know, done some damage. But uh, most of it was, you know, us gigging ourselves. But you right. know, I don't know if you want me to say that or not. You know, <laughs> that, 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 it's all right. Up to you. I mean, I don't know how much we expose the business on Talking Jericho. So no, no I mean, worse, no worse than the business has already been exposed, my friend. Yeah, K-Fave does not exist anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's a different world now. Um, But you were talking to, to get back into the WWE thing, you mentioned how some people put the screws to you, even though you had a chance to to really make a a name for yourself. But you also mentioned earlier that you were having some substance abuse problems as well. Uh, What exactly was your, your poison at the time? And is that what led to you getting fired, let go? Did you quit WWE? I don't even remember. It was, well, I was addicted to heroin. What wow. Was, yeah, I mean, I got five coming up on five years clean. Um, but uh, it went from, you know, somas to Percocet to Oxycontin to heroin, you know. And then once I got heroin, I was like, wow, this is the greatest thing in the world. And only by the grace of God am I clean and I don't have any diseases. I was lucky enough to escape without hepatitis or AIDS or all that stuff. So, you know, someone's watching over me. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. uh, And let me, let me, let me, let me stress that as well. And I know this for a fact, you've been clean uh, and you said clean for five years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, coming up with five years, it'll be, uh, it'll be five years come August. So we're four years and almost five. I just say five because I know, I'm not going back to that world. You know, I'm so far removed from it that it's like, you know, such, it seems like a lifetime ago. So you got fired from the WWE for, for, for heroin addiction? Did they know that? or were you... No, they didn't fire me. I just um, didn't show up because it, it was going to be Pittsburgh. It was like the first ECW uh, versus WWE Battle Royal uh, to start off the, the new company. Right. And they didn't fire me. I just missed my plane because I was trying to go get drugs. Wow. Yeah, that's that's how much of a hold it had on me. Yeah, let's I mean, let's talk about that for a second, you know, cuz I've never I don't know, I'm not sure if I've ever met anybody that's been been had a heroin addiction. Usually in wrestling, it's pills like you mentioned, somas or, you know, perks or or the oxycontin yeah, got bad for a while. Uh, yeah. But the heroin, how, how do you kick heroin? <laughs> you it it uh, well, I'll tell you this. Um, I I went through the WWE wellness program two times, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it didn't take, you know. And and the fact of the matter is, you're not going to quit until you want to quit. Like I can't quit for you. I can't quit for my parents. I can't quit for my wife. I have to quit because I want to quit. And the only thing that that got me through it was. I got on a methadone maintenance program, which removed me from that whole drug environment. Once you take yourself out of that environment, you know, and change the people you're around, it takes up, it takes away that, I don't know how to put it other than it takes away that urge to want to use. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm off of methadone now and everything, and I have no desire to ever you know, stick a needle in my arm ever again. You know, it's something that I hope to one day be able to go out and counsel and talk to people about, you know, and tell them, hey, this is not the way to go. So, yeah, right. it, was, it, it, was, it was a tough ride for a long time, Chris. I mean, I actually ended up 
losing everything and living in a homeless shelter because I cared so much about drugs more than I cared about anything else. Wow. So this is when you were really in the throes of addiction. You, you get fired from the WWE for you're not showing up because you're too busy trying to score. And then you said you lost everything. You ended up in a homeless shelter. Um, how, wow. How, how did you how did you fight back out of that? How, do you remember living in the homeless shelter? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember being in, you know, and thinking to myself how disgusted I was with myself because I know the only reason that I'm there is because um, when you're a drug addict, the the one thing that you want to be is alone. You don't want to be around anyone else because when you're around your family or your friends, they know you're using. So I wanted just to be isolated, alone, and just, just me and my drug, and I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to do anything. That's all I wanted to do. So, uh, and did that affect, obviously, I mean, if you and Balls were a tag team and you're not showing up, did they fire you and keep Balls, or did they fire both of you? No, Mahoney um, stuck around for uh, about a year, I think, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, basically, what you know, they, they, they used the ECW guys to get over the uh, WWE guys that they wanted to use and basically were making all the ECW guys look like clowns and uh, killing them off. And, uh, you know, I kind of knew that going in, so I wasn't really heartbroken over not going, but it was just, you know, the chance that, you know, I had finally my whole life wanted to be, you know, a WWF slash WWE superstar you know, I'd signed the contract. It was executed. Laura Nitus, you know, signed it, sent it back to me. I was already getting checks in the mail, but I, I couldn't go. You know, it was like I was in the airport. I was actually in the airport, and I was like, you know, I can't get on this plane. You know, mm-hmm. if I get on this plane, I'm going to show up to Pittsburgh, and I'm going to be dope sick, and they're going to see that. And I'd rather them fire me for not showing up than for being a drug addict. Right. So, w- w- how did you get out of the out of the out of the homeless shelter? How were you able to finally pull it all together? What happened was, you know, I I, I had reached the point where, you know, I, I I couldn't handle it anymore. And and the bottom line is, you have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I know that sounds cliche, but it's one hundred percent true. And I ended up uh, needing an operation on my leg called a fasciotomy um, on my shin and calf where they basically cut your um, calf muscle wide open and drain out fluid because my calf kept expanding and expanding. And it was due to a viral infection, probably because of the IV drug use, Um and I, I, I laid there in my, my in the hospital bed, and my pride, you know, wouldn't l- allow me to call anyone and ask for help. That's one thing I'm very bad at. And I finally broke down and picked up the phone, you know, and called my father and told him, you know, where I am, what's going on. And, um, you know, he immediately drove right up to the hospital and took me out and um, gave me a second chance at life, you know, because while I was using, which I didn't want to talk to him and I didn't want him because he would know and I didn't want him to be disappointed in me. 
but uh, he knew all along, and he just, you know, said all the time, he goes, I just feared when that phone would ring that it would be a phone call that would say, um, is this, you know, Mr. Knighton? Well, we found your son's body, blah, blah, blah. But luckily, I didn't end up a casualty of the wrestling business in that way, you mm-hmm. know, the drugs, I, I got out of it. And a lot of, you know, our mutual friends didn't make it out. You know, they, right. they were under 40, under 50, and uh, just couldn't handle the pressures. And, uh, you know, either died of suicide or, you know, other drug-related things. And uh, I luckily was able to pull myself out of it and only by, again, by the grace of God and, and, and the fact that, uh, you know, I was able to pull myself away from that culture and my sitting here today in this wheelchair, but I'm still sitting here alive, which is the most important thing. What year was that when you kind of got back on track? Well, I'll tell you what, it didn't happen right away. Mm-hmm. In, uh, like uh, 2007 is when I, my dad, you know, tried to help me out, but then I went back to, uh, you know, kind of using again. So I guess it was around... Um, so we're coming up on four or five years. It was like 2010 that I finally got myself into the methadone maintenance program and was in that for about three years, four years. And then I wanted to be off of that and just be 100% clean. And as I sit here right now in this rehabilitation center, I can honestly say I am 100% clean of all, any and all street drugs and am only taking my prescribed medication that the doctors, you know, give me and regulate. And uh, I'm real happy about that. But before I came in here, I was already off of everything and, you know, feeling great. So um, this setback really kind of, I kind of took it hard and, for the first two months, I was, like, really depressed. You know, I was just mm-hmm. kind of laying in a bed, unable to move. I didn't care about shaving. I didn't care about watching TV. I would just sit there and stare at the wall. You know, I didn't want people to come visit me. So it was depression really set in, you know. And, and then finally I realized the only thing that's going to get me up and get me moving again is me. And uh, so I started getting it up and doing therapy, and, and, and that's where we sit right now, you know, is, is, you know, either deciding to go with the spinal surgery, which is my last option, or continue with the physical therapy, which I am progressing in, which is giving me some sort of hope. So tell us about, well, and first of all, I see one of the pictures that you have on your you caring uh, uh, post of a little baby and, and, and a lady. Is that your family? No, that, uh, oddly enough, uh, I don't know why. Uh, first, let me say this. The, the, the whole online fundraising thing was not my idea. I've been in this uh, rehabilitation for seven months, and my friend um, in England, his name is James Ryder, and he has a group on uh, Facebook called Cult of Kayfabe, um, which is spelled with a K, K-U-L-T, you know, cult of kayfabe. Mm-hmm. And he said, he kept saying, you know, actually you need to, you know, put out there, you know, that, that you you need help, that your insurance isn't going to cover all this stuff. And I was reluctant. I said, no, James, I'm not. I don't want to be one of those guys that seems like, hey, 
I'm asking for money. I was never one of those type of people, and I don't don't want people, especially fans, and you know how they are on the Internet. You know, when you're hiding behind the keyboard, everyone has something negative to say about you. So um, the, that photograph, how it got up there, James put it up there. That just is an ex-girlfriend of mine who <laughs> happened to come visit me um, with because I wanted to see her newborn baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, still, yeah, it was definitely not definitely not married, but we once had a relationship back in the day. But I just and we remained friends. And once I found out that she had a baby, I really wanted to uh, get to meet her and everything. Gotcha. It was it's a sweet picture. But what you're talking about is it's youcaring dot com. That's caring dot com slash Axel Rotten. And you're not putting this up asking for money. You you need help, and you've spent years entertaining the fans. I've said this many, many times before that people forget sometimes how much of a sacrifice all of us make on our bodies for the fans' entertainment. And that's why I wanted to get involved, not because you asked me, because you didn't. I got involved because I'm like, this is one of the brothers who's down and needs some help, and medical bills aren't cheap, so that's why I got involved in the first place. So once again, you didn't ask me, you didn't ask anybody for this. It's just something that as a... As as a fellow uh, as a fellow brother Seamus, as if you watch Big Lebowski, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So that's why that's why I wanted to talk to you about all this and have it up there. Uh, was- well, and, and, and if I may, you know, um, you were very generous and magnanimous. I did uh, to 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 donate. You know, it just blew my mind because um, people asked me. They were like, "Wow, are, are you and Jericho like best buddies?" I'm like. You know, we, we we haven't spoken in years, but I consider Chris a friend. And I said, it, and he he did that out of the, you know, I, I didn't know if you even wanted to mention it, but Chris, you know, you donated a very generous amount to my, my You Caring Fund, and it was greatly appreciated. And I tell people when they ask me, I'm like, yeah, I said, uh, Chris is one of those guys that in my mind, we we couldn't talk in in ten years and pick up the phone, and like we're doing right now, we hadn't talked since probably two thousand six or two thousand five. Yeah. But we pick up the phone and we're doing a live podcast, and this is the first time we've talked since then. But I want to do personally thank you for that donation and to let everyone know that uh, you know it really means a lot to me that you came on board, you know, unsolicited. You know, you saw the situation, and, you know, you just thought, hey, you know, that could be me, probably, and um, you would probably want to help, too. But uh, it's greatly appreciated, and, and anyone that donates, you know, I'm not asking anyone to, to go out and do any more than they can do. If you want to donate, that's great. If you don't want to donate, that's great, too. I would just ask that you share the link so maybe we can pay it forward to where someone else may want to donate. So tell us about about your uh, your typical day of, of of therapy. What kind of physical therapy do you have to do? Because like like you mentioned, uh, you, your spine has a lot of issues. There's a lot of spinal stenosis and all this other stuff. What kind of therapy do you do? Well, a typical day would be, you know, I would go down to the uh, to the physical therapy room, the gym as they call it, and my therapist and I first thing we would do is a lot of stretching because of due to the inactivity your muscles become very tight right. and uh, myself being that it's my lower extremities, I had very huge calves and quadriceps and 
it's a it's a problem when your muscles are are that big. It makes it even worse. So we do um, a good twenty minutes of just stretching and trying to loosen up my hip flexors, which are very tight and are very painful if you haven't walked in a while. Um, and little things like you know you, your ankles get tight, your calf muscles tighten up. So she has to massage you know all these muscles out every day. And then we go into activities you know, such as just learning to stand up again, you mm-hmm. know, is something that I'm, I'm, like, it blew my mind the first time I stood up on my own, you know, and just, you know, just holding on to something. So we practice standing up over and over again. And then we'll do um, walking with the walker, you know, uh, uh, I'm up to being able to walk over 200 feet, which now, mind you, when I started doing this, I could only take 19 steps. Wow. That's it, 19 steps. And I thought that was tremendous. Now I'm up to being able to walk 200 feet with a walker. But again, um, we go back to going back into the gym. We walk. But it's, but it's aided, mind you. There's someone pushing a wheelchair behind me, and I have the therapist standing next to me because my legs have given out on me twice, and I had fell to the floor and um, fractured my ankle and chipped a bone in it, just trying to rehab myself. Um, so that's like I'll do that for one session, and then after lunch I'll go back and we'll work on more stretching and and go back to what we call wheelchair walking, which is when I sit in my wheelchair and use my legs only to com- propel myself forward and then propel myself backwards because what that does, it works your quadricep muscles. So it's a very intense, you know, workout twice a day, and it's really making me stronger, but... The pain level in my right leg is so high, I just choose to try to will it away and ignore it because even the medication that I'm on, I'm on Lyrica, which is supposed to be, you know, great for nerve pain. It has calmed the nerve pain a little bit, but it's still there and I'm fighting through the pain every day. But the therapy is is very intense and I walk on parallel bars. They have sort of an elliptical machine here that, but it's seated because obviously if my legs give out and I'm on the elliptical, I'm going to fall down. Right. But it's a seated elliptical and I do that. Um, And there's many little things that you wouldn't even think of that are therapy, like learning how to tie your shoe, bend over and put your own socks on, be able to dress yourself. I mean, when I first got here, I couldn't do any of those things. Mm. I had to relearn how to put my shoes on, how to put shorts on, put my shirt on because I had lost all feeling in my lower extremities and my right arm. So it was a very, you know, vigorous and intense process to get me where I am now. And my therapist is thrilled. And I got to admit that I'm thrilled that I'm to the point where, you know, I, I can stand up a little bit, but not completely because due to, as you well know, like I said, you read the MRI, how bad my back is, I can't stand completely straight. And right. they know that. So what we're working on is basically getting me as strong as I possibly can prior to surgery. So when I come out, I'll be stronger even 
for a quicker recovery, hopefully. What's what's the long-term prognosis? So is the surgery something that's probably going to have to happen? Well, um, in my mind, Chris, I would like to say that uh, um, the physical therapy is going to work and I'm, I'm going to be able to walk again, but I think that's wishful thinking because all the specialists and even, you know, the one that you helped me out with, um, they're pretty much unanimously, you know, in in conclusion that the surgery of some sort is going to have to take place to relieve the pressure on the root, the nerve roots, because I have basically, um, I don't want to get too technical because there's like a, you know, your vertebrae and there's that little bit of like spongy material in the middle that protects them. Well, basically that spongy material in mine is gone. So I'm touching bone on bone, which is compressing the nerve which is preventing me from being able to walk. Gotcha. So that's what's going on. So inevitably, I think the long-term prognosis is going to be some sort of surgery, and hopefully it will relieve the compression on the nerve, and maybe one day Axel Rotten will be able to walk again. That's uh, my only hope. I I never thought I'd say this. Uh, I don't really care about stepping in a wrestling ring again. I just care about being able to take a step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. That's the most important thing. When you look back, do you do you regret uh, some of the, the things that you did that might have led you to this position, or is this all part of the of the plan when you signed up to to wrestle that you knew there was risks? Well, you know, when we get into pro wrestling, you know, there's you know, inevitably, every time you go in there, you get hurt somehow, even if it's a small bruise, a bump, or a cut. No matter what. But, you know, I I really didn't want to sign up for that whole crazy, hardcore, nutty fiasco that I got involved in. But once I was involved in it, it it was too deep. I couldn't get out. The Mm -hmm. only way to get out. Now, you may not know this, but um, after the Ian Rotten feud, which was the one with all the blood and the guts, I left ECW for a while and went to Memphis because I just couldn't take it anymore and went back to work the territory for a couple months, but, you know, the money just wasn't there. So I went back to ECW. And regrets, as far as, uh, you know, Frank would say, you know, regrets, I've had a few. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the biggest thing, I think, was uh, falling prey to, you know, the the whole pill scene and the drug scene that was prevalent in the 90s in the wrestling business. And uh, uh, that's my one regret because... When ECW ended, I was 30 years old in the prime of my career, and I think um, had I not fell prey to that, I probably would have moved on to either WCW or WWF at the time and been right there in the middle of the Monday Night Wars because, you know, if if you speak to the, the people in the know, people that I respect, the guys like Mick Foley, you know, said, you know, Axel Rotten, you know, had you know, the it factor at such a young age. He could just cut a promo and get, uh, could go out there and, and, and either be loved by the people or hated by the people. Um, you know, Terry Funk, you know, Shane Douglas, uh, even Paul Heyman, you know, said that, uh, you know, Axel Rotten had all the tools to become one of the biggest stars in the business, but unfortunately his demons drug him down. So my biggest regret is getting involved in that whole 
drug scene because if I think if it ne- that had never happened, uh, you know, I would probably have went on to have, you know, a, a, a fairly good career. I don't think I would have ever main evented WrestleMania, but I do think I probably would have appeared on a couple of them. You know, it's interesting. I had Duff McKagan on the show a few months ago, and he said, you know, when we started out, we had this goal and this mission, and we said, we're never going to fall into the traps of rock and roll and fame and fortune. And he said, and lo and behold, we fell into every single one of them. And, exactly. Right? And you never expect it, but it just happens. And you know, that it's funny you said that about Duff, because a uh, little personal uh, information, I had an older brother who died from cirrhosis of the liver, which is a very hard way to go to watch somebody die. And that's from and excessive re- drinking, right? Yeah and, yeah, and and I remember sitting there telling my father, I said, Dad, you'll never have to worry about me. I'm never going to get into that stuff. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, you know, be a big star in wrestling and I'm, I'm going to make it and I'm, I'm never, ever going to touch drugs. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you proud. And lo and behold... You know, what happens? You fall into that scene, and once you fall into it, it just digs you deeper and deeper. And to quote, you know, Duff McKagan's band, I used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do it, so the little got more and more, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. Do you ever uh, look back and miss kind of uh, the ECW days? I mean, I see it's it, from, a, from a notoriety standpoint, that was definitely probably the biggest years of your career, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um I, I I miss what I what I truly missed was the beginning, and when I say the beginning, you were there for this. Is when you felt some some camaraderie that we were all trying to go out there, and people would sit around the monitor and congratulate guys when they came back and had a good match, and there was that you know us against the world feeling like the, like we were this band of misfit toys just touring the country trying to take over the <laughs> wrestling business that's what i miss yeah uh, you know I, I, that that's the camaraderie of being you know us against them because what people don't realize when we said you know the revolution the you know has begun, we really meant that you know we were out there yeah. to actually take over WWF WWE and WCW. We wanted to, and we did, let's be honest, the whole Attitude Era sprung from ECW. Had there been no ECW, I truly believe there would have been no Attitude Era in WWE. Oh, I agree, and even too on the other side, because ECW is a very much a schizophrenic uh, promotion. It was it was attitude, hardcore, blood and guts wrestling, but it was also some of the best technical, high flying oh. wrestling you could find, and that 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 transferred over to WCW and WWE as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, guys like yourself, guys like um, Rey Mysterio. Well, e- I mean, even mentioning were, Chris and Eddie know, and Dean, all of us never would have gotten a chance if it wasn't for ECW. I really believe exactly. it. we, we might have gotten a chance, but ECW never at that level. Springboarded a lot of guys, you know, in, into stardom, and you know, I was just like, I I kind of felt cheated because I thought, you know, if, if I could just went out there and have done what I could do. Instead of being pigeonholed into that, you know, every time Axel come out here, there's going to be blood, there's going to be chairs, we're going to be fighting through the crowd. You know, I, I felt like, man, if you have just given me the opportunity to work, I mean, when, when, when I work with guys like Candido and Lance Storm and Tracy Smothers, 
we had hell of a matches every mm-hmm. night, you know, and that's what I wanted. I craved that more than anything, but, you know, it was like every night we needed New Jack, the Dudleys, Balls, and Axel to go out and give them a carnage festival, and that's what they did, and that's what we did because that's what we were known for. And I, I really regret not, like, putting my foot down, but maybe if I would have put my foot down, I would have been out of a job. So, again, like you said, yeah. you know, once you have that spot, there's someone else right there willing to take it, so you don't want to give it up. Well, especially that, because like you said, as talented as you are, if you're talking about a blood and guts performer and Axel says, I don't want to do it, it's like, okay, fine, go get you know Frank Schwartz in there and he's just going to come in there and cut himself up because that's what he's supposed to do. And you know the result is the same. So if someone's going to do it, you might as well do it and do it the way that you did it, which was probably better than anybody else can do it. Well, that, 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 that's a point that I want to make that people don't understand. Like nowadays, these guys go out there and they do some of the most ridiculous things I've seen. They're, they're hitting each other with weed whackers, panes of glass, um, light tubes, all that stuff. I think that's ridiculous. I don't endorse that in any way. And all these guys come up to me and say, oh, you're, you're the reason I got into this. Uh, thank you so much. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, I don't want to be the reason anybody gets into going out there and cutting themselves. And I said, I don't want to be your hero. I'm not your hero. I said, I would much rather be your hero if I were Bob Backlund. You know, know, (laughs) because I know in my heart and those people that have seen me and have worked with me know I could have went out there and stole the show or at least been a part of one of the better matches on the show. And I never really got that opportunity once I was put in that blood and guts position, which really kind of, you know, I, I, I didn't like it, but that's what made my money. Yeah. That was the, that was the, the role in the team that you had. Uh, last, last question, Axel, what's, what's your favorite match? If you had to choose one or two that you've ever had in your career? Well, it, it, again, um, my favorite match is balls, Mahoney and Axel rotten, versus Lance Storm and Chris Candido from Wrestlepalooza. And there's also another one, which was a three-way dance that we did in the um, ECW arena. And it it was just a tremendous match. And everyone loved it. And, it, and again, invo- it involved no chairs, no blood, no guts. It was Doug Furness, Phil LaFon, uh Chris Candido, Lance Storm, Balls Mahoney, and Axel Rotten. And it was just, you know, it was such a smooth match. It was, it was, you know, we had it worked down to the point where, you know, a guy would go out of the ring, another guy would come in, they'd run a spot, the other guy would go out. And it was just so fluid and so perfect. And I just wish people would think of me more along those lines than the lines of, Axel Rotten equals blood and guts. You know, in my mind, Axel Rotten equals, you know, a great mind for the business, a great a great worker, a person who loves his craft, a true student of the game. You know, that's that's how I would like to be remembered. But unfortunately I think the blood and guts has overshadowed it. Well, like you said, all those matches are up on YouTube and, and, and people can go check them out. And I and I think of you as as a warrior and as a guy who's fighting and working his ass off to get back on his feet again, literally uh, it's youcaring.com slash Axel Rotten, and I'm going to be talking about this 
for the next few months. We're going to do everything we can, Axel, to, to get you back where you belong, man. And, and much respect to you for all that you've done through the years and for all the hard work you're putting in right now uh, to get back on your feet again. Chris, thank you so much for having me on your show. And, and if I may, to all the geroholics out there, because there's a million of you guys, can you give Axel Rod a little love on Twitter? Can I get some of the Jericho followers to come on over to at Axel Rotten ECW? I just want to build my fan base to to just get a little a little closer to the the Ayatollah himself, Chris Jericho, because uh, I know we got that great fan base. And I just wanted to mention, you know, if anyone wants to get out there and, and get a hold of me, it's it's very simple. Reach me on Twitter at Axel Rotten ECW, and don't be afraid to follow me. And Chris, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for letting me tell my story. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's so much appreciated. And now that we have reconnected, we will stay reconnected. And um, I will tell you this, um, I do listen to Fozzie. There's a, a few of my favorite songs, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm very happy to know that you're doing what you love, which is uh, going out there and rock and rolling, and, and, and I'm real happy for you, and, and I just can't thank you enough for having me on the show. And um, we'll, we'll talk again soon, but again, thank you very much. Thank you, Axel. And then uh, last thing, that's why you're feeling so unholy. I am the the king of the bear, you know, I'm unholy, which is, I have tattooed on my arm, because, you know, once you fall in love with Kiss, you know, it's right under my big Gene Simmons tattoo, so, um, again, you know. All right, dude, thanks, man, we'll keep in touch with you, and we'll be working hard to get you rolling again. Hey, Chris, thank you very much. Thank you to everyone out there listening, and I look forward to hearing from some of you guys. At Axel Rotten ECW on Twitter. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. So one last time, it's youcaring.com, Y-O-U, caring.com, slash Axel Rotten. Go on there, and if you can donate a couple dollars, this is a worthy cause. I am endorsing this a thousand percent. I want to see Axel get back on his feet again. He put too much time and gave his body and gave his blood, sweat, and everything else uh, for you guys. Um, so let's let's try and help him out if you can, all right? And remember, at Axel Rotten ECW, he wants to hear from you. It's, uh, I'm sure, not uh, the most exciting thing sitting around all day long in a rehab center. So check him out. Go say hi to him, and I'm sure Axel will be happy to hear from you. Let's get this guy on his feet, okay? Maybe even get him back into the ring again. I'm coming back into the ring. The Y2J WWE Summer Tour starts next Friday in Springfield, Illinois. Then the 13th is Terre Haute, Indiana. June 20th, Las Vegas. 27th, Boston. 28th, Reading, Pennsylvania. Then we head overseas to Tokyo and Singapore. All the dates at WWE.com. Go and check it out. And I'm excited to see all you guys. These are live events only. All right? No television. No pay-per-views. You want to see me? You got to buy a ticket old school style. And I'm going to be giving my all to have a four-star match every night i'm gonna give you my all to have a four star tough enough back bigger and better than ever i am the hostess with the leastest the fun starts june 23rd on the usa network putting together all of the final details now remember i'm not a mentor or a trainer i'm hosting this damn shindig doing a pumped up 
version of Ryan Seacrest on Idol. Well, maybe not Seacrest. What, Carson Daly? No, 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 no. Uh, maybe a more muscular Vanna White from Wheel of Fortune. Well, I guess it'd be Pat Sajak, I must say. What if I became the, the, muscle, the, 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 the muscled-up Pat Sajak? Wouldn't that be amazing, I must say? I must say. A little Martin Short for you there. Worst Martin Short ever. But the best rock and roll show you can see is Fozzie. we got some summer touring action. got a handful of shows and festival dates. June 25th, Val Air Ballroom in Des Moines, Iowa. June 26th at the Hard Rock Hotel in Sioux City, Iowa. July 24th at the Square in Kitchener, Ontario. Uh, August, 7, uh, August 8th uh, is the... Uh, Festival of Friends in Hamilton, Ontario. August 9th, Heavy Montreal in Montreal with Bullet for My Valentine and Lamb of God and so many cool bands. Then October 30th, we're heading out on the Kiss Cruise, which is great. I promise not to cane Kiss, uh, but if uh, Sandman comes on that cruise, watch out, Paul. You might see a crazy drunk guy with uh, with, <laughs> with Zubaz pants and a cigarette hanging in his mouth coming at you with a cane, but don't worry. I'm sure you'll hit him over the head with your guitar. I'm sure you will. And Gene will breathe fire on him and burn him alive, all right? Then, uh, of course, uh, over in November, we head over for the UK-European leg of the Cinderblock Party Tour. That starts November 12th, uh, officially November 14th in Germany, but I think there's a couple more uh, shows coming up. Go to FozzyRock.com for the full itinerary, more dates to come, VIB packages up there. Come rock with us, all right? Before we wrap things up, I want to say one last thank you to all the Talk is Jericho supporters, uh, you guys. Uh, for one, the most important, over 80 million downloads for this show and only 148 episodes or whatever it's been. Thanks to all of you for listening. If there's some episodes you haven't heard, go back. Check them out. They're, they're there. They're there forever. They're evergreen. They'll be there for life. I want to thank Koyos, NatureBox, TrueCard, DDP Yoga, and, of course, the sponsor who's been here from the start, Amazon. Amazon's the easiest way to support this show. Use the links whenever you do Amazon shopping. Go to podcastone.com. Click on, uh, click on the supporter show sponsors down at the top of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for the U.S the uk canada a every time you do that amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this free for free for next week no extra fees or hidden challenges you're just getting your shopping done help me on the process once again podcast one.com click on the supporter show sponsors banner and then hit the talk is jericho button uh, and help us out and don't forget you caring.com slash axel rotten let's get axel back on his feet again and that's it another great episode another great week and we're continuing on next week uh, next wednesday the new tremonti record comes out and I got the mastermind behind Creed, Alterbridge, and Tremonti. Namesake, Mark Tremonti will be here to talk all things rock and roll. It's another great edition for Talk is Jericho coming up. And thank you guys for being here. We'll see you next Wednesday. And a big, yeah, boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. <laughs>